We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We are going to continue right now in our series in Revelation. Now, again, like Lent, all of us have different experiences with that word I just said, Revelation, with that book of the Bible, with hearing about different things, uh, watching different movies, right? Uh, Reading different books, hearing different sermons, And we all have these different views about what it's for, what the purpose is, and what it all means. We actually did a little workshop on Revelation last year. It was like a six-week cohort where we talked through kind of an overview of that. And if you're interested in that, I can get you some of the audio from that. But I want to do this. This is what we we did with that group before. I want to just start here. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Verse 1 says this, the revelation, that's the same word as apocalypse, by the way. Apocalypse doesn't mean doom and destruction. It just means the revealing of something. The revelation, so your translation might say the apocalypse, of who? Of Jesus Christ. Turn now to the end of Revelation, chapter 22. We'll read the last two verses. Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies about these things that were written says, and this is Jesus saying it. He's the one who testifies about these things. Yes, I am coming soon. And then the author, John, writes this. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's not fear. He's not terrified of what's going to come. He says, yes, amen, Jesus. Come quickly. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. What is the book of Revelation about? Rather, who is it about? It's about Jesus. And it's about Jesus coming once again just as he promised, just as he came before and he showed us and he taught us what the kingdom of God is like. And and he died and yet he rose again powerfully through the spirit of God so that he could make a way for us to be reunited back with God. And he said, I'm going to go be with that God, with the father right now, but I will come again one day and he is going to reunite heaven and earth. The kingdom of God will reign in this place, and we'll get to live with him forever. That's what this is about. And yes, there's some like forward-looking prophetic things, and yes, there's some very scary things, and yes, there's a lot of weird things that are hard for us to understand. But remember, remember the thrust of this message. Jesus is coming, and that is good news. Amen? Right now, we're trying to sell our house, And uh, we actually have people in about 20 minutes who will be walking through our home. We've had already over 30-something people. By the end of today, there will be 47 groups of people who have gone through our house. And it's super weird because you're like, oh, man. I came home uh, Saturday and I was like, 
I had beard hairs in the sink in my bathroom still. It's like, ooh, that's gross. Like people saw that, you know? So like there's all these groups of people coming through and like making their opinions about our house and all this stuff. And, and many of them, because this is what I do when I look for a home, it's like we're already kind of treated like it's our house. Oh, this is going to be your room right here, right? What are we going to do with this backyard over here? And you're already making plans for it. And in a similar way, as kind of like weird as that feels, in a similar way, we're, we're stepping into someone's house when we open this book. We're stepping into a different culture, a different time, a different place, a different people, going through different things than you and I are. And, and we go, oh, that's, that's my story. Like, that's my room, right? We have to remember we're, we're stepping into a different period, a different letter. This is a letter who, that was written to people long, long ago, and it wasn't addressed, dear Missio, right? It wasn't addressed, dear Chris, dear Brian. Last week, Anthony kicked us off and it started with the letter to Ephesus. Do we live in Ephesus? Do y'all even know where Ephesus is? <laughs> no. In fact, uh, I, I kind of had to look up where Ephesus was, and I looked up where all these churches were. It was interesting to me because we were sitting with, we had a refugee family from Afghanistan come into our home uh, two weeks ago, and we had dinner with them. And Bethany posted on our Cultivate Instagram, like, hey, they need some supplies. They just got here about a month ago. And some of you and many people just came and, and gave to them, which was beautiful. So we had about eight of them in our house with the five of us, and set up this big long table and had a, a great meal together. And we're sitting down afterward in the living room, just talking. And they actually, many of them had really good English so we could talk really well together. And one of them said, you look very familiar. And Bethany and I right away already knew where this was going. Because anytime I'm around anybody from the Middle East, they seem to recognize me. Because I look very much like a guy who plays the Sultan of Turkey on a show in English called The Magnificent Century. This is him right here. <laughs> Let me just give that little, right? That's, I, I get this a lot. Literally, we're at Cortez Park and we're hanging out with a bunch of people from Syria and they're like, can we get a picture with you? We got to send this back home to our family. They're not going to believe this. This happens all the time. So the Sultan of Turkey, when I was in uh, seminary, a guy in my class, he actually used to be a missionary in Turkey, Jim Mullins, and he, that was his nickname. He called me the Sultan all the time because I, I look a lot like this handsome man right here. He's a little bit older than me, but I don't think he could tell that. Uh, so Sultan of Turkey, this is Turkey, modern day Turkey. And guess what? That's where these letters are written to. Uh, it was called Asia Minor, right? Previously, and so modern-day Turkey is where we're looking at right now. And if you look at this, let me see if my uh, fancy technology is going to work today. If you look at this, it starts with Ephesus, right? Today we're looking at Smyrna. It goes all the way up this way and comes down. That's the order of the letters. John, who wrote this, he's on the island of Patmos, which we think is about right here somewhere. So it's like he, he sends this letter directly to the first church that's closest to him. He was stranded on this island. 
all by himself. We, we don't really know exactly why. Uh, probably some type, of, some type of punishment from the Roman Empire uh, for preaching, but we don't really know. But for some reason, he's, he's there on this island by himself, and he sends this letter to the church, and it goes first to the very closest church to him, and it just kind of makes its little way around these seven port cities, meaning they're right on the water. There's lots of commerce and trade coming through. They're actually pretty well-off cities. Those are big, important cities to John's day. Why am I saying all this? I want to make sure we understand these were real people in a real time. And John's writing a letter in a very pastoral way to places that he had visited. But it's not just from John. Remember, this is the, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself starts speaking this message to John so that John could be a messenger to relay information to the rest of the followers of Jesus all over the world. And while that's all very true, it's also true that the Spirit of God preserved that message that Jesus spoke for a church long ago so that this group of people right here could hear what Jesus might have to say for us as well. That this, this word is still for us today. That's, still, that's no less true, even though we understand this comes from a different time in a different context. So you get these seven letters, and this is kind of the, the format of it. This is what happens. First, Jesus kind of introduces himself. Jesus says, this is, this is who is writing this to you. This is what you are hearing is coming from me right now. And Jesus introduces himself slightly different in each letter, right, to each different church. And then he commends them in some way. He says, hey, you're doing really good in this. And I love that. Jesus is really smart. <laughs> like when, when you got to have a performance review for someone at work and you got to give them bad news, like, man, they're showing up late all the time. Don't start with that. You start with like, hey, I, I really appreciate how uh, you keep your workspace nice and tidy. <laughs> but, right? So then after he commends them, he confronts something that needs to change. He says, but this is what I have against you. This is where you are falling short. And then he gives them some kind of call. Now, if you can be faithful through this, if you can stick this out, if you can do this, he has some kind of call to action for them. And then he ends it with a promise. I know that last one's not a C. I broke the alliteration. He ends it with, if you can stick through this, here's the reward that's coming, right? Here's the reward. There's a couple exceptions to this. The last letter we're going to read to Laodicea, Leo does not get a, condom, a commendation. There's nothing good written about them. That's a bummer, right? That's the that's letter we're going to end on. That would be nice and fun. Uh, but then there's two, other, there's two other exceptions to this format here. And so what we're going to hear today from Smyrna and then the second to last church, Philadelphia. They don't get confronted about anything. 
He doesn't have anything bad to say about those two churches. Maybe it's because Philadelphia is where cheesesteaks come from. It's a great place. No, not coincidentally, I don't think. These two churches in particular, though they're in nice large cities, are very impoverished as the people of God. They're, They're the ones who are oppressed the most out of all seven of these churches. And is it, is it true that because you don't have much and, and you're oppressed that God would love you more? No, absolutely not. I think what's important to consider though is one, both how they got there and two, what do they do with it? Like how, how did these churches get to where they are, the state that they're at? And what do they do with that? And I think that's what Jesus is kind of writing to. And so turn with me, Revelation 2. We're gonna pick up with Smyrna today starting in verse eight. We read the letter to Ephesus last week and we begin this morning, the letter to Smyrna. Jesus says this, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we hear this letter written long ago to people long ago, that your spirit would speak to us today, that we would become more like the people of God you have called us to be and more like your son, Jesus. In his name, to the glory of the Father and the power of the spirit, we pray. Amen. So we said Revelation can get weird though, right? There's a lot of words we don't understand. What does that mean to write this to the angel of the church in Smyrna? You know, is there an angel kind of hovering over each church? Is there an angel of Missio Dei that God would speak to? Um, there's, there's a couple different schools of thought on this, but I'll just say this. That word literally just means messenger. That's all that word angel means is Messenger. And I think that there have been times when uh, that word messenger, and it's a human messenger, has been translated maybe as angel incorrectly. And And I think that there are times, this is why it's important for us to understand we're stepping into somebody's house, right? To understand what is the language here? I don't know that that's the case here. It's also very possible. I know throughout the story of scripture that there are spiritual powers that are assigned certain Areas, like they, that they actually, scripture has called them the prince of a certain area, right? So that's a very real thing too. I don't know what's happening here. Uh, it seems weird to me though that Jesus would, through an angel, talk to John so that he can talk to an angel so that then that angel could talk to a group of humans. Like why use that human John in the middle of all that, right? Cut out the middle man, right? So that seems odd to me, uh, but either way, the, the idea of this is send this to the representative 
of the church in Smyrna so that they could all hear this. Okay, and so just trying not to get too hung up there and what all this means. Send this to the representative of this church because this is for this group of people. Now, Smyrna is not too far off from Ephesus. Remember, we followed that map. It would have been the next city that this letter would have been passed on by. So Ephesus would have received it. They would have passed on John's writings then to Smyrna. It was actually only about 35 to 40 miles away. And both cities are very similar. Ephesus is a little bigger because it's closer to the water there, more of a port city, but very similar, both big cities and both very culturally much the same. They both had uh, these, these idolatrous monuments built to the gods and goddesses of Rome. And they both, we're calling people to say Caesar is Lord. You could say whatever else you want to say. You could have a whole pantheon of gods. You could have like a whole grab bag of different gods you believe in. But Caesar is Lord. He's over all of them. That was the, that was the, the temptation and the thing that they were faced with every single day in both cities. And interestingly enough, we don't hear much about Ephesus being persecuted. And here's why I find that fascinating, because Ephesus, we're told, they did a really good job of figuring out what was true and what wasn't true. They did a really good job of saying, hey, that's a false teaching coming into the church. Don't let that happen. Jesus said, you hate the practices of these idolatrous people, the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Good job. But... For some reason, they weren't persecuted like Smyrna was persecuted. And the difference seems to be, and if you didn't get to hear what Anthony preached last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. I'm a little late uploading it. It'll be up there today. But go back and listen to that because he did a really great job laying out. It's not so much that they were saying these things about Jesus that would have got them in trouble. Rome didn't care what you were saying. As long as Caesar's still Lord and you're paying your taxes to him. But it seems to be that Smyrna is living truth. They're living in a way that the rest of the culture around them doesn't really like. They're actually backing up the truth with their words, with their hands, with their feet, with their actions. They're living in such a way that it is causing disruption in the city of Smyrna. It's living in such a way that it's pointing to someone else being Lord and King over Caesar. They're actually backing it up. And so now they're getting a bunch of oppression coming at them. And it's not just that, you know, like we, we might face sometimes, it's not just that like, man, we don't like those Christians, they're weird, right? And it's not just that certain laws were passed that would have been harder for them to stomach, right? It's that actually they had every right in that city to literally oppress these people. Like they could take their things from them and they had no, the the Christian church had no legal recourse. They could beat them in the middle of the street. They had no one to come and defend them. Many of them were getting thrown in prison like we just read. Hey, you're gonna get thrown in prison? And he says, be faithful even to death because many of them were killed. In fact, there's a famous early church guy named Polycarp at 86 years old who refused to say Caesar is Lord and said, no, Jesus, my king has been so good to me. Why would I proclaim any other king? And at 86 years old, they burned him. He was the bishop of Smyrna. 
This happened just a few years later, a couple decades after we think this letter was written from John. This morning, you are going to get it even worse. That's the distinction between Smyrna and Ephesus, that they were actually living as if all of this was true. Everything they heard about who Jesus is and what he had done. And Jesus has no confrontation for them. There's nothing bad to say about them. Does that mean they were sinless? Were they perfect? No. I'm sure they were a mess like us, right? I'm sure they got a lot of stuff wrong. But in the face, in the face of hardship, they remembered who was God, who sits on the throne, who is in control of all things, who has actually been good to them, and who will finally and fully one day restore goodness the way it should have been. And they were faithful to that. Man, may that be true of us, right? We don't face anything like what they were facing, but if we ever do, may that be true of us. And so Jesus, even from the get, from the jump of the letter, from the introduction of who Jesus is, remember, he, he kind of introduces himself differently in each letter. And this one, he says exactly what they need to hear. He gives a reminder to each church, this is what you need to remember I am. He calls himself the first and the last. The alpha and the omega in the Greek. The one who always was and the one who is to come forever. The first and last doesn't mean like endpoints on a timeline, right? Like, like there's a beginning and there's an end. It means the exact opposite. There is no beginning and no end to who Jesus is. He's reminding them exactly who is Lord. He's reminding them exactly who is in control. And you're going to face suffering. You're going to face hardship. They were, they were literally a destitute people who once were part of a thriving, hustling, bustling city, citizens of Rome and doing really well for themselves probably. And that had been taken away from them where they almost had nothing. And Jesus says, remember who the true king is. But he doesn't stop there. He gives them another little intro to who he is, another title for himself, doesn't he? He says, this says the first and the last. And he says this, the one who was dead and came to life. He's not just reminding them that he is God, the infinite, eternal being who created and spoke all things into existence. He's not just reminding them of his power. He's reminding them of his suffering. The suffering city of Smyrna has a suffering king, one who knows all the pain and affliction that they've gone through. That Jesus, God over all things, made himself a frail human, and came down to a dirty, broken earth and subjected himself to torture, to oppression, to violence, and to murder. That he went into the darkness of the grave. That's what he wants to remind them. And he says this right after that. Verse nine, I know, I know your affliction and your poverty. This is what Smyrna needed to hear, you guys. I know. Like whatever you're going through right now, this is where the spirit gets to preserve this message for us, church, today. 
whatever you're going through right now, Jesus says, I know. He knows because he sees you. He knows because he hears you. He knows because he made you. But he doesn't just know by watching and by being close. He, he knows because he's gone through it himself. He knows because everything Smyrna suffered, Jesus suffered as well. And everything we've suffered, Jesus is well acquainted with too. Smyrna was destitute. Jesus never had assent to his name. He was born into a borrowed stable, not his family's. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And everything in between, it says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man, Jesus, had no place to lay his head. The God of all things made himself destitute. I know, Smyrna, I know what you're going through. I'm the one who went to death, but I was raised back to life. I mean, how good, how consoling, how comforting is it for Jesus to say, I know, I know. But then to not leave it there, to not leave it there, to remind you too of the hope of new life that's coming. I know because I was dead, but I came back to life. I defeated that. It's done, it's over. And he's reminding them, remember that I'm the first and last, that I'm the true king. And if you stay faithful to that, even to the point of death, which I went through, just like I rose to the newness of life, he says to Smyrna, you will receive the crown of life. Every reward at the end of these letters too is a little different. It's tailored to exactly what they need to hear. You're gonna face death, but you will receive the crown. He doesn't just say life. Remember, these people, they, they were impoverished. They had nothing. You will receive the crown, the authority and the riches that come with that of life, eternal life with Jesus forever. If we follow him, if we are faithful to the end, even to the point of death. The word Smyrna actually means myrrh. So it's, it's the Greek word for myrrh. I don't know if you guys remember what myrrh is. Does it sound familiar in the story of the Bible? It's the this, this substance that they would actually, it, it had a good smell to it. And often it would be mixed with wine to help with the bitterness of wine. We just use sugar now. They would mix it with wine to help with that. It was a fragrance. It was a good aroma. When Jesus was born in that borrowed stable, there were some men who came some rich wise men who came and they gave offerings because they believed this is the one who has come, who's been promised to come and set the world right. And one of the things that they offered were myrrh. When Jesus had his last meal with his followers, reminding them he was about to go through death but would come back to life, when they took the bread and dipped it, there was myrrh. And then when Jesus was hanging on that cross, when they were beating him and torturing him and killing him, as he was nailed up there, they offered him a drink of wine mixed with myrrh. And then when Jesus was buried in that borrowed tomb, 
the women who loved him, who followed him, they came to prepare his body for burial with spices, including myrrh. Jesus knows Smyrna. He's well acquainted with their suffering. And he wants them to be well acquainted with him, to know him so that they could enter into the end of suffering and the newness of all life and joy, the banquet that is to come, that they will feast with him eternally. They will enjoy the riches of being one of his own, children of the king, brothers and sisters sitting at the table in the house of God forever. Jesus is reminding us too, I know what you're going through. I know. But remember, there's hope to come. He's right here with us still. And the promise is that we will be with him for eternity. Amen.